Good afternoon. I'm Bob. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll be reading our sermon text today uh, that's contained in the direct revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ to John. Revelations 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the new order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God's word. Thank you very much, Bob. Appreciate that. <clears throat> so uh, this is finishing up. This passage is going to finish up a series we've been working on ever since the, la- the week after Easter. So it's been a little while. A series on unshakable faith uh, in a shaky world. Uh, of course, we've been online only all that time or most of that time. Uh, and so it's, it's been a good series, I think, trying to think through what it means to stay, stay strong, uh, stay committed, stay uh, focused on what God says rather than on the things that are, are going on in the world around us. Well, this is a fitting last one uh, in this series. This is a fitting last, actually, couple chapters of the Bible here because it focuses on, like we talked about last week, where we're heading. Uh, the Christian faith gives us not just hope for what happened in the past, It doesn't just give us faith for what's going on right now in my present life. It gives me this tremendous hope of what's going to happen in the future. And that hope really settles on uh, a return back home with God. That's what it's talking about here in uh, verses 1 to 5 of chapter 21. I wonder, have you ever been homesick before? Have you ever felt that, that longing to go back? Uh, I know that's a weird question to ask after we've gone through these past several months. I think most of us are probably sick of home uh, rather than homesick. Uh, but we can remember times, maybe in the distant past, where we were on a trip, maybe we were at work a lot and spending a lot of time out of the house, and the only thing we wanted was to come back to where we felt comfortable, to come back to where everything felt familiar. That's a very, very common human longing and human emotion, wouldn't you say? Well, I think the Bible's telling us here there's something really deep, there's something really profound about what it means to be a human and what it means to be a Christian that's underneath every longing for home. Uh, One of my favorite authors outside the Bible uh, is a man named J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, You may have heard him. He wrote the Lord of the Rings books, also the the Hobbit. Uh, I like to talk about those books a lot around here. As you know, I'm a nerd like that. Uh, But in one of his letters, J.R.R. Tolkien was a Christian, someone who accepted the Bible's story of the world. And in one of his letters to a friend, he said this. He said, certainly there was an Eden at one time on this very unhappy earth. There was an Eden. Do you know what he means by that? There was a paradise. There was home. There was the place where God was dwelling with his people. And people were dwelling with their God, and they were dwelling with one another, and they were taking care of the world the way God had appointed them to when he gave them dominion over everything. There was an Eden on this unhappy earth. He says, we all long for it, and we are constantly glimpsing it. 
our whole nature as people, at its best and at its least corrupted, its gentlest and most humane, is still soaked, he says, with a sense of exile. Did you hear that? Part of what it means to be a human being is to be soaked with a sense of exile. That is, we are not where we're supposed to be. The world around us is not the way it's supposed to be. And yet, there's something in us that tells us, but there is a place called home. There is a place that you and I were made for, and that place is, in this passage, it's not that we're going to it, it's coming to us. Do you see that? The, the new city, the new heavens, and the new earth come out of heaven onto the earth. Just like we said last week, the Christian hope is so much different than all the other uh, religions of the world. It was, so it was so different in the day when it first came. Because all the other religions said, here's what you need. You need to be rescued. Your soul needs to be rescued from the world and brought to some other world that you've never heard of before. And the Bible came and said, no, Jesus, God himself, came into this world. He took on flesh and blood, just like me and you, so that we could be home with our God again on this earth. In other words, to be a Christian means you know. You might not have a home in this world, but your home is on the way. Your home is coming. That's what we want to talk about tonight, just for, a, for the next few minutes. I, I want to walk you just through these, these five verses by answering three questions. Uh, you can see them there on, on the worship bulletin. Uh, very simply, I want to see what John saw. What did John see when Jesus showed him this future? I want you to hear what John heard. What did he hear? And I want you to see what John was told to do and how that might help you and I uh, respond in, in a similar way to what Jesus is revealing about home. All right? What did he see? What did he hear? And what was he told to do? First of all, what did he see? Beautiful picture there in verses 1 and 2 if you'll look at it. Then I saw, it says in verse 1. And then again in verse 2, I saw. And he sees two very different things, but very highly related things. In verse 1, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. There's a lot of symbolism in that that we'll get to in a minute. But then he said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. What, he is, what, he see, what he's seeing there is a vision of every, everybody's future, every Christian's future with their God. It's a vision that matches perfectly. It's like a, a carbon copy of the same picture that we get in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when God first made us and first made the world. Only now, uh, unlike Genesis 1 and 2, where everything after God had made it went wrong real quick, now we see everything is going to be made right and made glorious forever by the power of God through, through the work of His Son. You see that? This picture is a picture worth staring at. It's a picture worth staring at and worth studying in great detail all the time. In fact, I want to tell you tonight, everybody in this room is probably staring at some kind of picture of the future that's driving you every day. Okay? Everybody in this room is staring at some picture of the future that you've made in your mind that's driving what you do every day. Here's the question. Is it this picture? Does it involve the things that God, through his son Jesus, is promising to me and you by faith and is promising to the whole world? Uh, there's a, a story about the famous artist Vincent Van Gogh. 
And Van Gogh was a, one of the great Dutch artists. But he was also, before he was an artist, he was a student of great art. And this one story goes that Vincent Van Gogh loved, more than any other painting, the painting called The Jewish Bride by Rembrandt. And Rembrandt had been many years before Van Gogh. He had painted wonderful things. You, you know the name Rembrandt, of course. This painting, The Jewish Bride, was on display at a, at a museum in Amsterdam. And Van Gogh famously said, Just give me one crust of bread and ten days, and I'll spend all ten days staring at that painting. And I'll never get to the bottom of it. And if, and if you've ever looked at the painting, you can see uh, why I bring it up. It's, it's The Jewish Bride. It's a painting of a bride. A woman who has been prepared for her wedding day and, and kind of alongside of her, embracing her, is either, you know, I'm not an art scholar, but art scholars go back and forth as to whether that's her husband-to-be or maybe it's her father who's getting ready to give her away. But nevertheless, there's this, this picture of pure wedding day bliss. And in, and in sort of Rembrandt style, it's all like carefully and, and detailed with, with oil on canvas, this perfect, almost like photographic quality. Vincent Van Gogh says, I could stare at it for 10 days with just a crust of bread and never get to the bottom of it. And I want to show you tonight, by, just by looking at some of the details there in verses 1 and 2, this can be our painting of the Jewish bride, the painting of the great bride that God has been talking about and writing about from the very beginning of the Bible. God has a people that he's prepared and a place that he wants to dwell with those people in. And that's what John says one day is going to be completely renewed. In verse 1, it's all of creation, the place, the place of God. In Genesis 1, 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And that phrase, heavens and the earth, means basically just everything. All the things that exist, this whole universe God made in a single uh, with an act of power, with an act of his word. And here it says a new one is coming. A new one, not in the sense of the old one getting completely thrown out and replaced. We talked about that last week. That's not the Bible's hope. It's new in the sense of being renewed. We know that because there are two words for new in Greek, and this uses one specific word and not the other one. You know, someone might say, uh, a woman might say, I'm married to a new man. And you can interpret that in one of two different ways. Either she kicked the old one to the curb, <laughs> and she literally now is married to a brand new man, right? That's one way of saying new. Or she could mean, my husband had a lot of problems, he was struggling, he went and found help, and now I'm married to a new man. He's been renewed. Well, in English, that's one word. In Greek, it's two. And here in verse 1, he uses that second word. It's not new in the, in the sense that it's just now coming up. It's new in the sense that everything is going to be renewed. All the old, all the dead, all the sorrow, all the pain, all of it, all the sin, all the corruption is going to be taken out of the world, made completely new, full peace, full justice. And at the center of that new world, verse 2, God's people. You see, that's, that's been the story from the beginning of the Bible. God made a place so that he could live with his people there so that they could live with him there. And there are the people, this great bride, the new Jerusalem, coming down, down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. In other words, in the end, God's people are going to be ready for God. We're going to be made perfectly ready. Everything that right now stands in our way from knowing the Lord is going to be removed. We're going to know him face to face, even as he has all, always known us. Do you see it? 
The front cover of the Bible matches the back cover of the Bible. (laughs) The front cover of the Bible matches the back cover. On the front cover, God made. On the back cover, God remakes. On the front cover, God made a people in his image. On the back cover, he restores that image. In the front cover, he makes man and woman and creates marriage. On the back cover, he brings us all into a glorious, eternal marriage with him. In other words, what all this is saying to us, the reason why we ought to stare at this picture the way Van Gogh stared at that Rembrandt painting is because it teaches your heart and mind we really do have a home. We really do. Like, it's not a fake feeling that you have when, even when you are at home and you feel just a little unsettled, a little discontent with the way life is. Maybe you feel a lot of discontent with the way life is. That's not a fake feeling. That actually is a signpost, a marker pointing you and I to a greater reality that God made us for. We have a home. And that home is not ultimately found in temporary things, It's not ultimately found in temporary experiences or in great ideals that we make up for ourselves. That home is found in our Creator. The one who started all this in the first place. The one who has upheld it all these years. And the one who will finally one day finish it. Redeem it all. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God. We tend to make this mistake, don't we? We hope, we hope in what we should hope for, and we hope for what we should hope in. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. It made sense to me when I thought about it. Maybe it, we, we hope in what we should hope for. There are so many things in life that we hope for. The job, you know, that, that my kids would turn out a certain way, that, that marriage would be good. The house, the, the, all, the, all those things, the friendships the community. We hope for those things. And that's wonderful to hope and to long for those things in our lives. But this picture is a reminder, none of those things should be where we hope in. We should invest our full hope, not in things that pass here today, gone tomorrow. We should invest our full hope and lean the weight of our lives on the one who has had the whole world in his hands from the very beginning. And he's never taken his hands off the world. And he's kept his hands on the world. In fact, he entered into the world as a man with hands and had those hands nailed open for you and I so that one day all the things that have made this world cursed might be cast out. All the things that have separated us and made us unfit for a relationship with God taken away. Just like when you have the house of your dreams, you don't go house shopping, do you? When you're living in the house of your dreams, you go house shopping when you don't like your house. (laughs) And sometimes as Christians, even those who believe in Jesus, even though we know this is our house, even though this is where we're headed, aren't we still constantly shopping for home? Aren't we still constantly thinking that somehow that thing or this thing or that person or this experience is going to be the one thing that makes me feel like everything's all right? This is telling. Jesus is showing John. No, no, no. Don't make that mistake. This world is very changeable. But there is an Eden. (laughs) There is an Eden. Our lives are soaked with exile. But that's not an accident. That's not headed nowhere. It's headed where God 
himself is going to gather us and meet with us in the world that he's made. That's what John saw. But secondly, I want you to hear tonight what John heard. Uh, There in verses 3 and 4, John hears something. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And then catch this, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things, the cursed order, the order full of disruption and chaos and, and tragedy. That old order of things has passed away. This voice comes out from the throne, and all throughout Revelation, John is seeing and hearing things, and the voice from the throne is usually God's voice, or it's usually the voice of Jesus. Sometimes it's the voice of an angel, but nevertheless, it's the voice of some authority showing John something he could not know on his own. And here, what's it showing? What's it telling him? It's saying, John, don't you see? And I want you to share this, by the way, with other Christians. Here's how this thing works. God is going to heal the world, and God is going to heal your life when he restores your relationship with him. There really is no eternal healing without a bringing back together of what was separated by sin, without bringing God back to live among his people. That was God's goal from the beginning. Look there again in verse 3, where it says God's dwelling place. A cool cool uh, detail. That word dwelling place literally means tabernacle. It's the same word used in the Old Testament. But the tabernacle or the temple, the the, the building that God designed and gave to Moses and said, Moses, when you meet with me, I want you to meet with me there in my dwelling place. In my tabernacle, John is being reminded that wasn't an accident. Again, God has had this goal. He's, he's, God is very focused, y'all. He's very single-minded. His goal has been to be with us, to be with his people, to have an intimate, face-to-face, family kind of relationship with his people. And here it says, the moment that happens, the moment that gets fully restored, tears are wiped away from eyes. Death is banished, mourning gone, crying gone, pain gone, the whole old order of sin and rebellion completely taken away. All the dimensions of human life, all the dimensions of our lives are redeemed through our relationship with God. In in Revelation chapter 22, it says this, in chapter 22, verse 4, this is the great hope of, of heaven, really, the great hope of the new heavens and new earth where it says they will see God's face. They will see his face. John, the same writer in another letter, says, we're children of God now, but what we are going to be is not yet fully revealed. But on the day when you see his face, when you see him as he is, you'll become exactly like him. In other words, I want you to get those two things together. You cannot have healing to anything else in your life unless you have healing to your relationship with God. And when your relationship with God is fully healed... The other things in life are going to be absolutely, totally, and fully healed. That begins to happen now because through faith in Jesus, the Bible holds out the hope that right now you can begin a relationship with God. And what that relationship can begin to do is it can begin to affect your relationships with other people. That can start to heal. It affects your relationship to the world and creation, your job, your your possessions, you know, your money, all those types of things. It even affects your relationship with yourself. 
sort of all that starts to click into place slowly but surely. Little bits of healing come as we come to know God more and more in this life. But notice, home doesn't arrive until that's fully completed. But when that's fully completed, we are where we have always meant to be. The thing that my heart yearns for, the thing that your heart yearns for, whether you know it or not, you may not believe this or not, but the thing your heart is really longing for is what verses 3 and 4 announced to John. That you would live with God your creator, your maker, that God would live with you, that you would call yourself by his name, and that he would write your name on his hands and on his heart, and that in that deep and and intimate connection with the God who made you, all the things that he made you for would begin to come back together in full and complete healing. Now, there's a couple mistakes that we tend to make here. We we don't really listen very well, do we, to what what Jesus or or God here tells John in verses 3 and 4. And I think we tend to make one of two mistakes. Uh, the first mistake is the, the mistake of someone who's really skeptical about this, maybe doesn't uh, believe this. And that's the mistake of assuming that we live in a godless world, in a godless world. Like the world really is just people and what we do. And so our whole life begins to revolve simply around fixing what we might call horizontal problems. Or, or internal problems. And we don't ever connect the fact that in order for those problems to even start to get truly healed from the root up, we have to get a vertical healing, a vertical connection with God. So many of us, don't we? We, we live, even if we would never say it out loud that we live in a godless world, I find myself sometimes living as if I think I live in a godless world. How about you? That constant sort of struggle to find satisfaction, to find everything sort of clicking and falling into place, I think is a great sign that restlessness of heart is really a great sign that we, we're riding God, even maybe if it's subtly, we're riding God out of the world. But listen to what Jesus told John. God's dwelling place is destined one day to be among men. Even now, God offers himself to us He offers us a relationship with him so that in in knowing him, we might be completely and thoroughly healed. The other other mistake that we make, though, this is the mistake of those who do believe or who are Christians, those who tend to be in the church, is we live like we have a worldless God. (laughs) Some, Some live like they have a godless world. Others live like they have a worldless God. Like, as long as I get things spiritually right, doesn't matter what else I do. These other things are going to pass away anyway. They're going to all burn up. It doesn't matter. That's actually not at all the picture of the Bible. That's not at all the picture of these verses. In fact, the Bible is very clear. Because there is a God in this world, because God's the maker of this world, because he placed us in it for his own purposes and his own reasons, that means as soon as we are connected to God, it should bring up the priority in our minds of all the other aspects of our life. You should matter more to me because God matters to me. And I matter to God and you matter to God, right? My job should matter more to me because it matters to God and God matters to me. And right on down the line, all these things. We don't live in a godless world. Neither do we live with a worldless God. Instead, this picture in verses 3 and 4, this announcement, is one of harmony where it's almost like, Our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship to creation are like the three legs of a stool. You can't do without any one of the legs. 
You know, there's no sense in trying to build one up really, really strong if you're going to take away the others. The stool's just going to fall over. You've got to have all three. You've got to be grounded. And, and this, this verse is really a vision for what it looks like to be fully grounded. And so tonight, here's great questions for you. Do you appreciate your relationship with God? Do you appreciate how central it is? It's like the hub of the wheel, you know. It is the leg of the stool that you simply cannot do without. But also, even if you do believe in God and pursue Him, do you recognize that God is calling you towards others? God is calling you towards a different kind of life. He's calling you to to actually get busy in this world for Him. God's calling you to look at yourself differently. He's calling you to look at your job and your work differently. That's what John heard that day uh, from Jesus. Now, thirdly tonight, uh, what was John told to do? And I think this not only helped John make sense of what Jesus was showing showing him and telling him, but it helps us to know what to do with it. I love this. Verse uh, 5, the last verse that we read. He who is seated on the throne, that's God, Jesus, said... I am making everything new. And again, the word new there is not the word replacement new, but the word quality new. I am renewing everything. And then he said to John, write this down. Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Now, I want you to think tonight. When are the occasions when you have to tell someone, write this down? Or when has anyone ever said to you, write this down? What are some of those occasions? Think about it. When you're making a really big business transaction, right? Something very important. Uh, Something that you don't want to change, like when you're buying your house. When you're getting a new job, you got to write it down. you got to fill out paperwork. When you're buying a car, big things require written contracts. Things that may be hard to believe without having it in writing require written contracts. Things that you don't want to or you don't look to ever change require it to be in writing. If you get something in writing, that means it's sure. And that means you also have the ability to go back and revisit it. If you just hear it and don't write it down, you'll forget it. How many people are like that? I'm like that. I forget it if I don't write it down. And so how significant is it that Jesus goes to John and he says very specifically write down the fact that I am going to make everything new. Make my promise official. Make it publicly, like make it public testimony that you're going to take now out into the world, written down on a piece of paper, and you're going to share it with other churches. You're going to share it with other Christians. You're going to spread it all throughout the world. In fact, the very reason why you and I tonight are able to read this is John did what Jesus said. He wrote it down. Jesus is saying, I am willing to to go into a written contract with my people that what, I am, what I'm envisioning here, what I'm announcing here is actually really going to happen so that one day in the future when you doubt it, when my people doubt it, they have something to refer back to. They have a contract to revisit. How huge is this, y'all? How threatened is hope in the Christian life? Not just the Christian life. You might not even be a Christian. You're you're watching this and listening. How threatened is hope right now in this world? Like, from how many different angles is hope being attacked? (laughs) From all kinds of angles. I mean, it doesn't matter tonight what your picture of the future is. I guarantee you, in the past several months, it's been shaken. Hasn't it? 
It's been shaking maybe, maybe just a little bit, but for many of us, it's been shaking a whole lot. I believe this. I think Satan loves to attack our future hope as Christians. Perhaps more than anything else, he loves to attack our hope because people who don't have hope are paralyzed people. People who have no place that they're heading to obviously don't know where they're going, and so they lose their way. The world, it's not just Satan, the world itself is always trying to sell us knockoffs of the biblical hope. It's trying to sell us other sources of hope all the time, and it's very, very good at selling the product, and we are really, really eager to take the bait. Why are we eager? Because our own hearts attack hope. I don't know if you've noticed that about yourself, but I know it's about me. When the going gets tough, right? The things that I hoped in become very, very weak. And it becomes very, very easy for me to give up the fight. It becomes easy for me to, to try to look for little tiny homes, so to speak, and all the temporary circumstances and created things around me. Here, Jesus is giving John and he's giving us something to steep ourselves into, something to revisit. Jesus was willing to go on public record. He was willing to write it down. The things that I worked on from before the beginning of time, the reasons why I created the world, those things I will not fail to realize in this world. I am making everything, he says, new. Write it down. And so here's the application for us. If Jesus wanted John to write it down, are you picking it up? <laughs> are you reading it? Are you steeping yourself in it? This passage has a picture at the beginning that we should stare at daily. You know, we should go back and back to the new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem, the bride prepared for the husband, God's people under God's rule in God's place. We ought to go back and stare at that. We ought to listen to the announcement that when our relationship with God is healed and, and Jesus has made that possible, when that's healed, everything's going to be healed. We ought to go back to what Jesus says in verse 5. He is the only one who can make everything in this broken and messed up world new. He's the only one. When we steep ourselves in that, it brings a new, fresh set of priorities, doesn't it? Suddenly, I'm able to prioritize things better. If I know where my real home is, I know where I'm headed. I know where I'm not headed. I know how to make decisions better. It gives me courage where I lack it. And y'all, here's a really important one, especially as we are going into summer. It's summer, by the way. Do y'all know that? It's a weird year, but it doesn't feel like summer, but it is. We're going into a time of slowdown. Some of us may be going on vacation. We're searching for rest. We're, a lot of us are tired because of the things that's been going on. The only true rest, like deep soul rest, that's available is learning how to find home base in the words that Jesus spoke. He never said something that he wasn't willing to back up. He backed it up with his blood. He backed it up with his life. And so tonight, there, there's my question. Are you steeping yourself? Are you writing it down? Are you picking it up? Are you going back over again and again the words? The whole Bible really is full of words like this. The contract. Better word. The covenant is the Bible's word. The covenant that God makes with his people. We can take him up on his promises. Amen? Let's pray tonight. Lord, I want to thank you so much for creating the heavens and the earth and putting us in it, Lord. Making us in your image and calling us to belong to you. 
Lord, connecting everything in our lives back to a relationship with you. Thank you for that design. Lord, forgive us for how we've broken that design, for how we've turned to other pictures of home, other words of assurance. Maybe somebody in here has turned to a situation where they just have no words left. They have no pictures left. Just despair. Father, I pray that you would meet us where we are tonight. That you would heal. That you would comfort. That you would speak a word that would cause our, our fears and our guilt and our pain and our sorrow to fade. Help us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.